Doctors. In this series, The Junior Doctor's Guide, targeted at new FY1 Doctors, we've been compiling a series of episodes on common topics and presentations you're likely to come across during the year ahead, as well as some of the day-to-day -day practicalities of the job you probably weren't taught at medical school. I'm Dr Baradwaj Shada, and I'm currently an FY1 in the East Midlands. We hope you've been enjoying our series so far, and welcome your suggestions for topics and ideas you'd like us to talk about. So picture the scene. It's 2.34am, you've just come down to the mess after a relentless night of patients spiking temperatures, fluids that needed re-prescribing, and cannulas which had chosen the middle of the night to tissue and stop working. You've managed to sneak in a rudimentary meal of two chocolate digestives and a cup of tea, and have slipped off your shoes, taken off your stethoscope and lanyard, and are curled up onto the mess sofa as you entertain the prospect of a brief catnap to ward away the midshift fatigue. No sooner have you found a comfortable position, however, you're met with possibly one of the most universally loathed noises among junior doctors, the heart-sinking peal of your bleep. Doctor, an anguished nurse begins as you tidily respond to the bleep, having fought off the urge to fling it against the mess wall. My, my patient, he's, he's not been quite right, doctor. He's, he's drowsier than usual, sleepier than usual. Please come, uh, as soon as possible. This is a bleep you can expect to receive from time to time. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about your approach to the drowsy patient, or more specifically, patients with a reduced Glasgow Coma Scale or GCS score. We'll talk about what the GCS is and what it's used for, how to work up a patient with reduced GCS, and some common differentials for reduced GCS and things to be aware of. Of course, these differentials are by no means an exhaustive list, and each of them is a whole topic in itself, which we'll be hoping to cover over the course of this series. But this episode should hopefully help you in your approach to managing a patient with reduced GCS. The Glasgow Coma Scale is a scoring system originally described in 1974 by neurosurgeons at the University of Glasgow for the assessment of head injuries, and is now commonly also used in trauma and acute medicine. The scale comprises three parameters and is scored from 3 to 15, with a higher score denoting a higher level of consciousness. The scale assesses each of the following eye opening from 1 to 4, for no eye movement, movement in response to pain, movement in response to voice, and spontaneous eye movements, respectively. Vocal response from 1 to 5, for no vocal response, an incomprehensible response, an inappropriate response, a disorientated or confused response, and an orientated response, respectively. And movement or motor function from 1 to 6, for no movement, extension to pain or decerebrate posturing, flexion to pain or decorticate posturing, withdrawing from pain, localising to pain, and obeying commands, respectively. Abnormal extension or decerebrate posturing indicates dysfunction at the level of the brainstem and confers a poor prognosis, so should be escalated as a matter of urgency. I tend to remember it, remember it as E4, as in the TV channel, for all my Made in Chelsea fans out there, M6, as in the motorway off junction 19 of the M1, and V5 as, well, the other one but I'll leave the mnemonics and memory aids to your imagination since you'll probably do a better job than me. When called to see a patient with reduced GCS, as is often the case when called to see any acutely unwell patient, the thing to remember is that you have more time than you know. Unless the patient is crashingly unwell and hemodynamically unstable, in which case a periarrest or met call should have been put out anyway, you're probably better served to find a computer to access blood and scan results, gather the patient's notes, get briefed by the patient's nurse, and bring yourself up to speed with the patient's journey to date. This ensures you're armed with all the information before even beginning your assessment, and can help to identify key elements of the history. 
Has the patient recently had a seizure and is now in a state of postictal drowsiness? Have they vomited, which may be suggestive of raised intracranial pressure? Have they been parexial, hypotensive or tachycardic and may now be becoming septic? Are they a known diabetic and susceptible to hypoglycemic episodes? Or have a history of excess alcohol consumption or recreational drug use? These are very salient pieces of information and can help you better focus your clinical assessment. The patient's observations are also a good indication as to how unwell they are and their level of clinical urgency, with the caveat that observations don't always tell the whole story, so definitely take them with a pinch of salt. That said, temperature, blood pressure and oxygen saturations can help determine the cause of their deterioration and inform your further management plan. Similarly, review the patient's drug chart to see whether they may have been receiving inappropriate doses of medications such as opioid analgesics and benzodiazepines. When it comes to assessing these patients, let's consider the things you may expect to find that could explain their reduced GCS, clinically or by the bedside, biochemically on the blood results, and radiological and other findings. Clinically, remember, common things are common, and as Occam's razor would suggest, the simplest solution is most likely the correct one. I'd hazard a guess that most of us would be pretty irritable, confused and drowsy if we were in hospital, being constantly poked and prodded, not eating properly and having trouble sleeping. So beware of over-medicalising someone who was probably just sleepy. It's something I've been guilty of in the past and I'll share an amusing anecdote later on. That said, if you have even the slightest suspicion that the etiology of their drowsiness may be something more insidious, don't be afraid to seek senior support early on. It's certainly better to be safe than sorry. As with all your assessments, the A2E assessment is your best friend, and at this point I'd like to point you in the direction of Dr Alex Light's excellent guide on the management of the acutely unwell patient from earlier in the series. There are a few telltale signs you may unearth in the course of your assessment that can help guide next steps. When assessing their airway and breathing, for example, you may note respiratory depression suggestive of intoxication with certain drugs such as opiates, CO2 retention and loss of respiratory effort in severe COPD exacerbations, or, more worryingly, brainstem dysfunction and head injury. The Chain-Stokes pattern of breathing is pathognomic of this and is characterised by alternating rapid breathing and apneic or gasping episodes. Assessing their circulatory system can suggest a degree of hemodynamic instability and may indicate, for example, that a patient is floridly septic. When assessing for disability, again, with common things being common, check the patient's blood glucose levels, with both hypo and hyperglycemia as potential causes for a reduced GCS. In fact, a variant of the ABCDE framework is ABCDEFG, with the DEFG representing don't ever forget glucose. Derangements in blood glucose levels, whilst life-threatening and extremists, are easily remedi remediable and shouldn't be overlooked, and we'll touch briefly on its management later on. The disability section of your assessment is also where you might want to complete your GCS scoring, although some people prefer to assess this separately. The GCS score is a difficult examination to perform properly, particularly the motor section, so it's well worth your time to observe a senior doctor or nurse performing one to help familiarise yourself with the process. You should also examine the pupils for inequalities in size and reactivity to light. The acronym PEARL is often used to denote pupils that are equal and reactive to light. If you note a blown or sluggish pupil, in combination with other brainstem signs such as an absent gag reflex, increased tone and upgoing planters, this certainly warrants immediate senior input, including your own seniors, ITU support and a neurosurgical opinion. Similarly, facial asymmetry and limb weakness may signify cerebral dysfunction and necessitate a prompt CT head and senior review. 
There are lots of fancy interventions such as administering mannitol to lower intracranial pressure and normalising PaCO2, but that's way above our pay grade as humble FY1s, so it's our job to identify these patients and set the wheels in motion. Alongside a patient's regular observations, you may also request that a patient have regular neuroobs monitoring, which comprises serial monitoring of their GCS, pupil size and reactivity, and limb movements, and can help chart changes in a patient's neurological function. When assessing exposure or everything else, look for any rashes that may be suggestive of, for example, meningococcal meningitis, hyper or hypothermia, needle track marks indicating intravenous drug use, evidence of trauma, and examine the abdomen for signs of peritonism. You should think about repeating a full set of bloods, particularly if you have reason to believe that the cause for their reduced GCS is due to metabolic or electrolyte imbalances. That said, as holds true for all acutely unwell patients, blood results shouldn't determine immediate management. For example, you wouldn't wait for an elevated white cell count or CRP before you commence the sepsis protocol in a patient whom you suspect is septic. Nor would you await evidence of deranged clotting function in an elderly patient on anticoagulation who'd had a fall, before requesting a CT head or obtaining a neurosurgical opinion. However, bloods are useful in distinguishing between metabolic, infective and other causes. A toxicology screen, for example, may help to identify blood levels of various drugs, such as salicylates, alcohol, lithium and paracetamol. Similarly, an ABG may be useful in COPD patients to determine appropriate target oxygen saturations and whether their decreasing cognition is due to type 2 respiratory failure. Thereafter, as part of your workup, you may want to think about further investigations and you'll of course be guided by what you found so far. A CT head may be indicated if the patient is exhibiting focal neurology, is elderly or has a history of alcohol abuse, and has had a fall or is on anticoagulation. Ensure you check your local trust protocol for the management of patients in whom you suspect a stroke. They may need to be blue lighted to your nearest stroke centre, or alternatively be managed in-house. For patients in whom the CT head is returned normal or inconclusive, they may require a lumbar puncture for a suspected subarachnoid haemorrhage, meningitis or encephalitis. Consider a septic screen if indicated, such as a chest x-ray and urine dip, or perhaps a CT abdomen following discussion with the surgeons if you're thinking about an acute abdomen. In terms of some common differentials for reduced GCS and their management, we've actually touched upon a lot of these already. Septic patients may present with pyrexia, hypotension and tachycardia, and have offensive smelling urine, a cellulitic rash, or crackles on auscultation of their chest depending on the source of their infection, and the sepsis 6 protocol should be initiated promptly. For patients suffering an episode of hypoglycemia, refer to your local trust guidelines for how to correct this. Commonly, something like 100 ml of 20% glucose over 10 to 15 minutes followed by a long-acting carbohydrate. For hyperglycemic patients or those in diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA, or hyperosmohyperglycemic state or HHS, immediate intravenous fluid resuscitation is essential, followed by a fixed rate insulin regimen, again as per your local trust policy. If the drowsiness is postictal, ensure the patient is kept comfortable and monitor for and protect against further seizures, for example by removing any hazards that may be in the vicinity. Liaise with the pharmacist to review whether the patient is on anything that may be lowering the seizure threshold and consider a specialist neurology opinion, especially if this was a first or atypical presentation. In patients in whom you're suspecting a drug overdose, either iatrogenic or recreational, Toxpace is an excellent resource that outlines classic clinical presentations, monitoring requirements, and management including reversal agents. 
for patients with a known history of excess alcohol consumption, ensure regular Pabrinex is prescribed, with or without chlordiazepoxide if you're worried about withdrawal. Again, as for your trust guidelines, often via reducing regimen over a period of about a week. Similarly, for benzodiazepines, the reversal agent of choice is flumazenil. I wanted to touch briefly on opioid overdose specifically, which is something you may be called to see on occasion. In addition to reduced GCS, shallow breathing and pinpoint pupils are all suggestive of opioid overdose and warrants prompt reversal with naloxone, usually with something like 400 micrograms IV or IM stat and repeated every two to three minutes. There's no hard and fast rule as to exactly how much of an opiate may tip a patient into overdose, as it depends on several factors such as their age, renal function, and which opioid it is they've been given. But as a very rough guide, doses above 50 milligrams of morphine equivalent over 24 hours significantly increases the risk of overdose. If the cause of the reduced GCS is indeterminate and you're not sure whether or not the opiate may be contributing, you can always trial a low dose of naloxone, but it must reinforce the importance of early senior review in the management of these complex patients. I recall an incident during one of my first night shifts when I was called to see a young man who'd been admitted following a sickle cell crisis. I'd been called because he was drowsier than usual according to the nurses. He was on a patient-controlled analgesia or PCA pump, which delivered small boluses of morphine intravenously as and when he pressed the button. This piece of information, coupled with what the nurses had told me, and my own assessment of this rather somnolent and groggy young man, instantly led me to put two and two together and conclude that the answer was a morphine overdose. Get the naloxone ready, I assuredly dictated to the nurses, doing my best house MD impression, simultaneously bleeping the medical registrar. I've got a patient here, I remarked to him. Bond or mor morphine overdose if you ask me. How much have they had? He responded politely to my confident assertions. Ah, I thought to myself, this would have helped, wouldn't it? Sheepishly, I flicked through the drug chart, the pages helpfully choosing to coalesce at that exact moment. About 15 milligrams today? I hastily calculated, the error of my ways instantly dawning on me. The medical registrar, to his credit, chose not to castigate me in that moment, concluding courteously instead that that probably wouldn't have done it, he's probably just sleepy. Sure enough, as I returned to the patient after the call, tail between my legs, he was sat up in bed, wiping the sleep from his eyes, Give us a rest, will you, Doc? It's 3am. I'm just trying to get some sleep here. I duly scurried off the ward, avoiding the gaze of the bemused nurse, muttering something about returning the naloxone to the drug cupboard as I left. Reduced GCS is something you may be called to see quite often as an FY1, and is complicated by the fact that it exists on a spectrum, from something as benign as a sleeping patient to some potentially quite life-threatening emergencies. Do your best to stay calm, identify and treat common and reversible causes early on, and seek senior support at the earliest. By no means are you expected to manage these conditions yourself. It can be quite intimidating to review an acutely drowsy patient, but by remaining methodical and sticking to your guns, you'll be surprised at the depth and breadth of your knowledge and just how well you'll be able to manage them. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of MedTalks. Please subscribe to our channel, share with your friends and family, and like our Instagram page for all the latest updates. As always, your feedback and suggestions are much appreciated. Thanks.